Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I got to attend something called uh, the CMN Conference this past week in Houston uh, with our Graceland Espanol pastor, Oscar Barajas, who's up serving our, in our kids' ministry right now. CMN stands for Church Multiplication Network. It's the church planting arm of the Assemblies of God where I hold my ordination. And I've, and my wife and I have served as a part of Church Multiplication Network for about 12 years now since we first became church planters when we were out in California and since coming here. So it's really beautiful to go there because we get to have like a family reunion with people that have invested into us and then with many church planters from all over the country that we've gotten to invest into and coach and and be a part of training. And of course, Oscar is getting filled with so much passion and vision for Grace and Espanol, which uh, you're going to hear about in the coming weeks. We're going to have a whole Sunday focused on hearing the heart and the vision and how we as a church uh, are going to be a part of that story. In the middle of the conference, they showed a video before it was even over asking us to sign up for CMN Conference 2023. Come on, get excited. It's time. And I I was like, man, we're not even done with 2022's conference. And I understand why organizations have to do that. You know, it's like get a cheaper rate, start getting everybody signed up. But it made me feel exhausted. And it made me feel like I wasn't living in the current moment. And it's kind of like we build up to a conference. All this work goes into it. We do it, and it's beautiful. And then it's just over, and we're thinking about next year's. And it's like, when do we stop and just, like, live it out? You know what I mean? That kind of feeling. Sometimes I feel like that about Sunday mornings. Uh, A lot goes into our Sunday morning gatherings. Our team comes. They rehearse. They prepare. I'm writing messages. We'll have guest speakers. Our kids' ministry team has all this preparation and things that they do, our youth and And the Sundays just seemingly go by faster and faster and faster as the years go by faster and faster and faster. And it's not to downplay it. It's beautiful, and we should make it a priority. But sometimes much in this life feels fleeting. I went to a daddy-daughter dance with my two middle daughters uh, two weekends ago or something, and realizing my oldest daughter, who's in seventh grade, is done with daddy-daughter dances. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's over. And I went to the one with the two middle ones. It was fantastic. And, and afterwards, I was like, that was great. And now it's just over. Life feels fleeting. Sometimes we do this with vacations. How many of you guys have ever looked forward to a vacation or a trip for months? And then you get on that trip, and it's great. I'm not saying it's bad. But before you know it, the trip is over, and you're back at your desk working. And you're like, oh, the trip's over. Life feels fleeting. And I find myself often asking the question, what? lasts in this world? What is worthwhile for the long term? And what are we called to do in a world where nothing seems to last? What is our calling as followers of Jesus? I think everyone in this room is in one of four potential categories when it comes to calling. So here's the four categories. You can figure out where you think you fit. Number one, I'm not called by God for anything. Either I'm just not good enough I'm not a Christian, or that's for others, it's not for me. And if you're in that category, that's okay. It's a real place to be, and I believe this message today will speak into that reality. Number two, I feel called by God, but I'm confused about the details. What should I do? Where should I go? I think a lot of people find themselves 
in that category, a lot of Christians. Number three, I'm walking in my calling, but it can be very difficult, and I'm really struggling. We often find ourselves in that category. Or maybe number four, I'm in my calling, and I'm fully flourishing in life. Good for you. (laughs) If that's you, more kudos to you. Today's text, text speaks powerfully into each stage of life, the calling and the questioning that we face in each area. It's titled, God's Call on Your Life. We're looking at John 6, verses 22 to 40. We're studying through this entire book. The series is called Believe, which is really a theme for the gospel of John. I'm going to give you some context before we read because it'll help. Where we're reading, it's still just the day after the miracle where Jesus fed the 5,000, and really it was more like 15 or 20,000 that he fed with just one small kid's lunch. It was a tremendous miracle. Right after that is when Jesus walked on the water during a storm, and Peter walked on the water, and then Jesus came into the boat, and the boat miraculously showed up on the other shore where they needed to get. This is the morning after both of those incredible events, so that's where we pick up in verse 22. The next day, the crowd, this is the crowd that had just been fed, that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day powerful scripture. So this incredible miracle happens the day before this. The crowd loses Jesus and the disciples. They take the boat to the other side of the lake, and the scripture says in verse 24 that they were in search of Jesus, which by all accounts is a good thing. 
to be searching for Jesus. When I encounter someone at any place in their life who's saying, I'm searching for Jesus, I affirm that in them. One of the truths that I hold in scripture that I just think is so powerful is that God will always answer an honest seeker. So it's good to search for Jesus, but as we see in this story, our motivation for why we are searching for Jesus matters as we see in this interaction. Verse 25, when they found him, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So these people, this whole crowd was unaware of the incredible thing that just happened on the Sea of Galilee the night before. Isn't that interesting to think? It was just the disciples and Jesus out on the boat when he walked on the water and when he got moved to the shore once he came in the boat. The crowd had no idea what was even happening. And how interesting would it have been to just been like a person in this crowd and then years later come across the Gospel of John, which wouldn't have been written yet, and be like, wait a second, through the context clues, feeding of the 5,000, then this. Oh my goodness, when Jesus walked on the water, I was there. I was on the shore. I, I wish I could have seen what had happened. That's how real these things are for very real people. And Jesus, like he often does, kind of ignores their question. We see this in all these encounters with Jesus. Often, they ask something, and Jesus kind of acknowledge it, acknowledges, acknowledges what they asked, but then speaks to something much deeper in their heart, actually the deeper question. And that is interesting for us to take note in our own lives. Ask Jesus all your questions. I encourage you, because sometimes we just let our questions become worries and we never even talk to Jesus. Bring your questions to Jesus, but also remember, he might not answer your question the way you want. He may respond to the deeper question of your heart to the deeper need of your heart, the things that you are unaware of. So I think it's really important to pay attention to the questions Jesus asks. And in verse 26, he answers them very truly. Well, let me remind you what they asked him. They, they said, Rabbi, how did you get here? He doesn't answer that at all. And he says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's basically saying, as the one who knows their heart and mind, you're just looking for another meal. You're looking for a handout. They had a need and wanted Jesus if he could help them with that need. And I want to clarify, Jesus does help us with our needs. We should bring our needs to him. They draw us to him. But at the end of the day, he is interested in much more than just meeting our needs. And that's what he's pointing to here. Like my wife, Jessica... Uh, in May, we'll have been married 15 years. And so we've had a good amount of life together. And imagine if I went up to her one week and I said, Jessica, I have been searching for you everywhere. My heart longs for you. I have been seeking you out. My dearest Jessica, it is so good to finally see you. I don't know how you got here. I have been searching and searching. Will you please make me dinner? You see, it's not bad that I'm seeking my wife out, but if I was only ever seeking her to get something from her like a meal, after a while, our relationship would be very shallow. It would be very empty. And of course, it goes both ways. And that's basically what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, hey, you're coming to me for a meal, but he wants to speak something else into their life. And I have observed 
Some people, followers of Jesus, never actually make the shift to just seeking God because they love him, because they want him, because they want to know him, because they want to be transformed by him. They, they kind of stay in that place. I only seek Jesus when I need something. And I'm really just looking for getting more food. And Jesus responds in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus is messing with our hearts here and basically saying, what is it you're working for? What is it you feel called to? And number one in your notes is you have been created for a work that moves beyond the temporal and into the everlasting. He's saying, don't work for just food that spoils. And the way that this life is fleeting applies to many of the things that we work for. And again, we have to work for money, but you guys know this, money grows wings and just flies away. Food perishes. And it's good to enjoy a good meal, but if you don't eat it, it spoils. And if you eat it, it comes out of you in not the most attractive way. And then it's flushed, and then it's off to the dump. Food spoils. Experiences and memories fade. Our stuff gets old. I love the Seinfeld bit that we get something new and we keep it like in our living room for a while. Then we're like, ah, I'm not sure about that. We move it to a little bit of a less important room. And it's like, ah, I'm not liking it as much anymore. It's not working great. Move it to maybe a closet. Don't really want to get rid of it yet. Then maybe to the garage. This is over 20, 30 years. And then, and then maybe to the storage unit. And then finally, you're like, why do we still have this? And you either, you can't sell it because it's garbage by then. And you probably can't even give it away. You know, you know those things that even if you put them on the side of the street, people are like, I'm not taking that. <laughs> Stuff gets old. Even people move on from our lives. And so they, in light of Jesus's challenge, ask the question that I think many of us ask, regardless of what category we're in when it comes to the calling of God on our life. In verse 28, they asked, what must we do, Jesus, to do the works God requires? This is like the moment of truth. Have you ever wanted to just be able to like face-to-face -face ask Jesus, what do you want me to do? Anybody ever felt like that? I'll do it. Please bless my life. Please lead me into the desires of my heart. What do you require of me? What am I called to? And that's what's happening here. And it comes down to Jesus. He answers this. And look what he says in verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. At surface value, that's a fairly unsatisfying answer. Because I don't know about you, but I want the details. I wanna know what I should do. And God seems to always be saying, wait a second, the work of God, the call of God is to believe in Jesus. Number two, God's call on your life is less about location and vocation and more about believing in Jesus. We want to know where should I go? What should I do? Who should I do it with? And don't get me wrong, these things matter tremendously. They matter. And God will at times lead us with very specific details. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the message. But at the end of the day, God's call on your life is not as much about those things. It's more about 
at your heart level, are you believing in Jesus? It's so counterintuitive because Jesus, again, he answers our questions with answers to deeper questions that we aren't even asking yet. So wherever you are on your journey, what I want you to hear this morning is that God's call on your life is as simple as believing in Jesus. Now, we have to clarify a little bit because we have watered down the word believe quite a bit. What does believe really mean? To really believe in something like scripture is talking about is to believe so much that you cast yourself upon a truth, so much so that you'd be surrendered to it. Again, to illustrate with a marriage, I believe in Jessica, my wife, and because I believe in her, I trust her. I love her. I walk with her. I depend on her. I listen to her. And here's a way to think of it. When you truly believe in Jesus, number three, it changes your who, what, where, when, why, and how. We're going back to elementary school. The five W's and the H. Anybody taught that way? One person, thank you. You guys all wish you were in bed right now? Anybody? Oh, thank you. Honesty, honesty. Wow. It's just like, I got hecklers. I asked for it. I love this. When you truly believe in him, you encounter him, and it changes these things. Look at it. When you truly believe in Jesus, it changes the who of your life, where once my life was all about who? Me. My life was all about project self. When you truly believe in Jesus, you know what your who becomes? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He transforms the who. And this is what God is interested in regarding your calling. How does that who get transformed? By believing in Jesus. He transforms your what? Did I skip one? Who what? That's the second one. He transforms your what? It switches from what I want, my kingdom come and my will be done, to what he wants, which by the way, is what ultimately leads to what you want in the deepest way. Have you learned that? If you got everything you just thought you wanted, it might not lead, it might not lead to what you need in the deepest ways. God is answered in leading you into the what that meets your actual needs and your actual wants that you were designed for. It transforms your where and your when. It's no longer my place, it's your place. It's no longer my timing, it's your timing. It transforms your why. You switch from selfish ambition to holy ambition, godly ambition. You shift from self-promotion to making much of Jesus. This is the call of God on your life, and it's transformed by believing in Jesus. It transforms your how. Last week, Pastor Billy Patterson, one of our overseers, he talked a number of times about abiding, John 15. That's his go-to message. And, and God transforms our strategy, our how, from striving to abiding. Did you know you're not created to strive? You're created to abide in him. He transforms our how from fearful living to faith-filled living, from the declaration of independence to the declaration of dependence. The point is, we often want clear direction, detailed answers. And again, sometimes God will give us that. He will clearly direct you to go somewhere, do something, or not do it. But most often, number four, the details of your calling come as you follow the heart of your calling. And the heart is believing in the one that he sent, Jesus. So then in verse 30, the crowd asks him, 
What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do, Jesus? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this part of the text is tragically humorous because get the context again. Jesus just miraculously fed 20,000 people, walked on the water, saw Peter walking on there, got him to the other side of the boat, is talking with these people in person, speaking the very words of life. And in the middle of it, they say, prove it. And then they say, here's how we want you to prove it. This is what Moses did. They even quote scripture to the author of life. And they say, here's how we would like you to prove it in our life so that we will believe. Who sees the insanity? Who, who turns that hand then and says, oh, that's exactly what I do. We're in the middle of God working in our lives, doing things, showing up in power, delivering us, freeing us, saving us, giving us peace. And right in the middle of our life, when we're asking him all of our questions, he says, the work of God is this, Nathan, believe in Jesus. That's the work. And I'm like, mm, prove it. And here how, here's exactly how I would like you to prove it. And if you don't, I might not continue to believe. I had a friend visiting here for about a week once. I'm not going to name him because I'm going to kind of throw him under the bus right now. If he's listening to this, it's all right. We're good friends. But he, he spent about a week with my family and I, and there were other people with us too. And he spent a lot of time with me seeing the pastoral work that I do, the work of the ministry. He was here with us on Sundays. And it was a particularly beautiful week of ministry. And right before he left, he kind of said, that was fun hanging out with you. Can you tell me? I'm really confused. Like, what do pastors do with all their time? And what does ministry look like? And I was like, what? I was like, dude, you just saw it for the whole week that you were with me. We, we, we got to like lay hands on people and pray for them. We got to see the power of God. You got to see stuff behind the scenes. It was incredible. It's like he was right in it and he was still like, I don't see any evidence of the Lord here. <laughs> and that's how we treat our lives a lot of times. God is so very present. But because we get so bogged down with the detailed questions we want answered, the concerns we have, we miss the beauty of what he's doing and we become like this crowd. And then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, this bread gives life. We want it. In verse 34, always give us this bread. They're basically saying, yes, Jesus, we want this. And they're still not seeing what he's been saying the whole time. And then he declares in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, it's believing in Jesus that you are called to do, and that's what changes everything else. There is no other way. I had a crazy night this week that I wasn't sure if I would share, but sometimes when I go through something strange, my dad always taught me to not always think it was just about me, but it might be about what's coming up in my week. And I shared it with someone that I met with this week and I'm gonna share it right now. It hasn't been a difficult week, been very encouraged. My wife, she can prove it. Is it true? I've been okay this week? Good mood, better, decent, okay. She said, that I'm trying to attain her standards. My whole life is trying to attain my wife's standards. Hasn't been a discouraging week. 
And um, one night in the middle of the night, out of nowhere, I woke up and I just felt completely under attack. I don't know if you guys have felt those things in my mind. And this particular attack um, was basically my thoughts were accusing me about why nothing at Graceland Church is going to work. That's what it was about. And it was really out of nowhere because we've been very encouraged at Graceland Church. We're excited about what God's doing. But it was like this attack was putting me at the center of everything, which is not true. And there were people and things and meetings and ideas and responsibilities passing through my head. And it was basically, it's what the scripture says Satan does to followers of Jesus. He is the accuser of the brethren and he brings accusations before God about us day and night that aren't true. That's what the accuser does. His native language is lies. And I was assaulted and I could not get out of it in my thoughts, basically being like, this is why, Nathan, this thing is not going to work. This is not going to work. This you didn't follow through with enough. This you haven't been responsible enough about. This is why. This is why. This is why. And it, it was so many all at once that it was absolutely paralyzing in my thoughts. And I was just laying there in bed in the middle of the night. Nessa, my six-year-old, was laying next to me. She's like her, her, as always, like her hands and her legs all over me as I'm like on my little sliver of the bed. And I'm just getting like assaulted demonically is how I felt. And uh, I was trying to pray. I was like, God, what? I mean, you know, in moments like that, sometimes you can barely whisper prayers. You know what I mean? It, it was like, I was just trying to, and I couldn't break out of it. I listened to a podcast um, for a little while. Eventually, I fell back asleep. And again, I share this carefully. This isn't even a reflection of me struggling. It, it almost happened subconsciously in the middle of the night, but I proceeded to have the most intense suicide dream that I've ever had in my life. And I hadn't been thinking anything about suicide. And I've, someone, I've battled like things like depression before, and it's something that I've, that I've walked through to some degree. Um, but this was crazy, and it felt external to me, right? And so then I woke up in the morning, and I've, I was like traumatized a little bit. I was like, what do I do with that? And this is what we all face when something happens to us. How do we process it? What do we do with this? How do we then live? I, I wanted to talk to Jessica more in detail about it, but that morning I barely even said much. I might have said one or two words. She's always wanting me to say more. But it was hard to talk about, and I just I, I felt like I wasn't ready to fully let it out. But then I had been working on this message and I started to combat the lies with some truth, right? Which is the way to, that's the what to do when you're in spiritual warfare. And again, these accusations when I woke up were all around, basically, Nathan, you're not going to be enough in the middle of this. This is why all this is going to fall apart. And the truth of this scripture started to remind me, wait a second, the work God requires of me is this, to believe in Jesus. And as I began to say, wait a second, Jesus, you are the king. You are the Lord. You are the one I cast my life upon. And this is your church, not mine. You are the builder of your church, not me. Of course I'm going to be flawed in my work. We're all flawed in our work because we're imperfect beings. I'll do my best, but everything is an act of God's mercy and grace. And slowly but surely, it's like, it's like combating the lies of the enemy and re-rising back up into your calling, which is to believe in Jesus. And this is why it's the act of believing in Jesus that leads to all other aspects of what God wants you to do. 
Because you may have the same kind of attacks about maybe your parenting or your relationships or your work. You are not enough. This will not work. You are too far gone. You are not like so-and-so. You can never be this. You can never be that. Anybody willing to just say, yeah, I've been there plenty of times? I'm sure it's all of us. The way you combat that and begin to live your calling is you believe in Jesus. And then Jesus confronts them and says, but as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. My prayer is that we here at Graceland Church won't be in that category and that I won't be in that category. I don't want God to ever have to say to me, although he has before at times, hey, Nathan, you've seen me, but you don't believe. You're not believing. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And I love how Pastor Billy last week emphasized, Jesus will never drive you away when you come to him. Never. And by the way, when we talk about belief, it doesn't mean you don't have any doubts. You bring your faith, you bring your belief, you bring your doubt, you bring your fear, you bring all of it. By bringing it is how you're saying, I believe. Checking with me? It's the act of bringing it all that is saying, I believe. You bring it all to him. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. This is the will, but raise them up the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. So here is this call of God on your life. Here's the results of it. Number five, the Father's will is for you to be found, raised up, and eternally alive through believing in Jesus. This is your calling. There is no higher calling on your life than this. And your calling, if you're married, your calling as a spouse, vitally important but it flows from this highest calling, right? It is through believing in Jesus, living your life to know him, that you can actually be a healthy spouse. Your calling as a parent comes under this. Your calling in ministry or as a missionary comes under this. Your calling in work as a business leader, as an employee comes under this. This is the highest calling. And the good news is you can do it right now. How amazing is that? There is no higher thing that you can do than that which you can do right now and be like, once again, Jesus, I surrender my whole life. I cast myself upon you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. You are the Messiah. You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. This you can do today. Regardless of which of those four categories you find yourself in, we must repeatedly come back to this. Even when our lives are flourishing, we start we start leaning towards maybe dependence on ourselves. We got to come back to, oh, wait, reliance on Jesus, faith in Jesus. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me. Let's just take some time before we dismiss. Don't think about the rest of your day yet. Just say, Spirit of God, what are you saying to me? What are you calling me to do about this? I have a specific encouragement for you, church, which is to lay down your burdens and believe in Jesus. 
The burdens might not immediately change. The circumstance might not immediately look different. You may not have any more specific details, but you can be completely changed in the middle of all of it. Overwhelmed with grace and peace as you have faith in Jesus. Don't miss this Jesus who has been sent to find you. It says that God's will is that you remain found. That you'd be eternally alive. In believing in Jesus, we are building into eternity that which lasts, the work that we do as unto him. If you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, pray it with me. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I don't know every answer. I know I have fallen short. I know I've sinned. I ask for forgiveness. Thank you for what you've done. On the cross, thank you, you took my place. Thank you for forgiveness today. Thank you for a fresh start. Thank you for new life. I commit my life to you. And I say, lead me in the way everlasting. Teach me to be a disciple after your heart. If you're in that category where you, you know God has called you, but you just don't have a clue about any of the details, I pray you find profound rest right now profound, deepest rest in trusting the one in whom you have believed. He is your king. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. He wrote the beginning of your story and he will write the end of your story. All you can do in the middle and as you take one step again today is say, I believe in you. You that are walking in your calling and struggling or maybe you that are walking in your calling and flourishing, either way, Let's bring it back to the heart. My faith is in you, Lord. Remind me that which you've called me to do. You are God and I am not. You are the king and I am not. I believe in you, Jesus. I don't believe in myself as the king. I don't believe in myself as the savior of these things, as the God of these things. I believe in you, Jesus. Just tell them, church. With your hands raised, I believe in you, Lord. And as you declare that, church, he's going to give you specific things that flow out of that. He'll call you to specific things to obey him on now, things to repent of, things to have faith for. But it must start with the heart of, God, this is all yours. I believe you. And with our hands raised, let's sing that chorus just a couple more times. You're good. You're good. And let's declare it over all these things. You are good. You're good. this benediction over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Great to have you guys here. Love you very much. Have a great afternoon.